There is no messaging around this bill. There's no way to put lipstick on this pig. This is not about being nice to one another. Americans are nice to one another. We're very tolerant people, perhaps the most tolerant in the world. This is completely focused on taking our rights away as people of faith. Hi, guys. Welcome back. I'm Liz Wheeler. I have a preview for you of an interview. I sat down when I was in, at NatCon, I sat down with the president of the Heritage Foundation, Kevin Roberts, which was funny because I actually recently met his daughter. I spoke at the University of Dallas in Texas, and the event was partially hosted by his daughter. So it was a funny coincidence that I had met her a month or two ago, and then I sat down and talked with her dad. He's doing great work at the Heritage Foundation, by the way. And we talked about a couple of initiatives that they're that they're undertaking at Heritage, including what's called the Education Freedom Report Card. What this is, is it's a, a ranking system or metrics where you can gauge how free your state is when it comes to school choice or educational freedom issues. And once you see where your state ranks compared to other states, then there are action items, things that you can do to get involved in increasing the freedom of education in your state. It's a really cool, it's a really cool tool. Very nerdy, very cool. And I made a little bit of fun of him, but really it's, it's pretty neat. I think you'll like hearing about it. We also talked about the fiscal blueprint that Heritage Foundation has released. This is to counter the Democrats' accusation that, oh, Republicans are the party of no. Well, Heritage came up with a plan of what Republicans ought to do when they take back Congress in November. And then perhaps most importantly of all, we talked about Schumer's gay marriage bill that is currently, well, it's currently stagnating in the Senate. Um, they aren't going to vote on this bill until after the midterms, perhaps thanks to the efforts of the Heritage Foundation and all, what all you guys have done talking to your senators. But Kevin Roberts and I, Dr. Roberts and I talked about how this bill in reality isn't about gay marriage. It actually targets us as people of faith. So if you want exclusive early access to interviews just like this one, please join us on the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. That's lizwheelershow.com slash locals. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy this interview. Hi, guys. Welcome. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show. We are sitting here in Miami, Florida at NatCon 3. It's been a crazy conference, a good conference, an intellectual conference, so many really good panels. One of my favorite things about this conference, actually, is that it's not just individual speeches, that it is uh, an entire panel who then have slight differences of opinion and weigh the pros and cons and debate that. It's it's very unique to this conference. It's very fun. Um, if you weren't able to come this year, you should think about coming next year. It's also in the great free state of Florida. So who who can turn that down? But sitting here with me today is... I, we've been trying to set this interview up for probably two or three months now because we've crossed paths like 20 times. It is president of the Heritage Foundation, Dr. Kevin Roberts. Liz, it's a pleasure to be here. As we were talking about before we came on, we even tried to do this during really cold weather on March for Life Day in January, right? We did. And then I actually saw your daughter. I spoke at the University of Dallas to her Claire Booth Luce group there and met her there. And I was like, well, I missed your dad, but at least I saw you. Yes, <laughs> you got the better part of the deal. Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah. Um, she was a lovely young lady. So one of the most common questions that I get from people on my locals community, we talk about policy a lot. We talk about strategy over there. And one of the most common questions is sort of an age-old question that faces Republicans. And that is, aren't you just the party of no? Because we spend so much time, admittedly and rightfully, we spend so much time pushing back on this Marxist assault on cultural institutions and governmental institutions that sometimes it's lost in the, in the fight. Lost in the fight is solutions or alternative proposals, or maybe the proposals are so nitty gritty that they're just not tweetable like the left. And what you've done at the Heritage Foundation, you just released this. 
is a 2023 fiscal plan for when the Republicans take back both when, when yes, um, the House and Senate. And I want to ask you about that. What should be the highest priority for Republicans controlling Congress in 2023, taking into account that a Democrat controls the White House? Well, to your point, Liz, the most important thing, just to make a general point, is they need to be for something. I mean, I, I believe firmly that one of the moral obligations of conservatives is to constantly pull on the reins on the, the wild horses of progressivism, right? And so that's important. But too often, and especially in the last generation, we haven't wedded that to a positive agenda. We saw this with the healthcare reform of a few years ago, right? And so what Heritage is trying to do is acknowledging the likelihood that we're going to have a conservative majority, certainly in the House, maybe in the Senate, is for those conservative members of Congress to talk about, we're not just needing to retool the federal government for the sake of saving money. We need to retool the federal government for the sake of serving everyday Americans. The reason, just to cite another example, that we need to have a a dramatic reform of welfare and safety net reforms is not at all to be uh, opposed to a safety net system as much as it is to recognize the dignity of work. Our public policy needs to reflect that. Just to hang on that example for a moment, if I may, The nice thing is, although we don't live and die by polls at Heritage, when you poll that kind of framing about the dignity of work and Americans who are on safety net programs doing that kind of thing, it's extremely popular. So what Heritage can do is wed the policy priorities of the conservative agenda with sort of the political popular priorities of the American people. That's the kind of thing we need to be doing moving forward. Well, that's very interesting because one of the reasons that the Republican Party as a whole has strayed from fiscal conservatism is because it's a very difficult proposition for Republican elected officials to go back to their constituents and say, you're enjoying X, Y, Z benefit, and I'm here to take it away from you, even if it's the right thing fiscally to do. No one's going to, no elected official out of their own sense of self-preservation and wanting to keep their job wants to sell that to their constituents. It just wouldn't work. No, I mean, it's just the nature of politics, right? And, and Margaret Thatcher, a generation ago in Great Britain, talked about that very problem. And so it's our job, if we think about the, the policy change that needs to happen in this country, while certain things are very urgent, it's our job to think about doing this over 10 or 25 years. I'm not saying that from think tank space saying we have that amount of time to fix everything. What I'm saying is we've taken two generations in the United States to completely make a huge proportion of America dependent on government. We're not going to be able to snap our fingers and change that overnight. Therefore, we have to be very good going back to your original framing of talking about what we're for. And every single one of those times, we need to frame what we're for in those specific policies, education, safety net reform, foreign policy, is what's in the interest of the everyday American. Yeah. And I don't think Republican elected officials, I know I'm pretty harsh on them. That's because I, I want do. them to do, that's because I want them to do their job well. I hired them. I get to, I get to hold them accountable. That's the right attitude. That's right. <laughs> um, I'm hard on them because I want them to do their job well because they they need to serve the American people. So NatCon is sponsored by the Edmund Burke Foundation. And so I want to get a little nerdy for a second. And I want to talk about one of the biggest divides in the conservative movement and Republican Party is a very healthy battle, by the way, between, between the John Lockean definition of liberty, which is a more libertarian, individual rights-centric view of liberty versus the Edmund Burkean idea of ordered liberty. Where do you stand on that question and why? Firmly in the latter camp. Uh, I, I am a Burkean through and through. Uh, 
particularly a, a Kirkian, although there's some tension between Burke and Kirk, just to continue this, this, this geek out with you, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> but the, the point is to my friends who are Lockeans, you know, who, who are more in the libertarian camp, I always remind them as a historian of the founding of the United States, it's actually both and, you know, the, the reason that 20th century conservatives like Russell Kirk could write eloquently about ordered liberty is because there is that tradition from the, the, the Lockeans that freedom is really important. It, it's an essential part of this. But I will be really blunt and say that as a historian, even before I'm a policy leader, that this country's founding was not Lockean. It was, it was Burkean almost 100%, that our founders, regardless of where they were from, regardless of the differences they had politically, understood that the greatest objective of the United States government was ordered liberty. That's something that conservatives have really forgotten at the very same time that we've seen government grow more expensive. And it makes us sound like we're always going back to say, stop spending more money. It's not good that we spend the amount of money we do, but that's not the right framing. In other words, that's a very Lockean framing. We need to be talking about humans flourishing, which is something Burke would constantly remind us of. How would you define ordered liberty? Ordered liberty is putting two competing goods in some sort of resolution publicly together. As I've told many classes of students over the years, Liz, order is very good, right? But we don't want 100% order because it means that we're not exercising our free will. And liberty might sound like it's a lot of fun to us, especially when we're teenagers or when we're in our 20s, but it's not, as our libertarian friends would say, the right to do whatever the heck we want to do. In fact, freedom is the right to do what we ought. It, it, can, it connotes a moral obligation to something larger than us, in this case, the American public square. So putting ordered liberty together means that we're recognizing that we are at our freest when civil society is ordered around eternal truths. The opportunity to live virtuously. Yes, well put. Why do you think so many Republican elected officials err on the John Lockean side of this argument? Well, because for many years, as the federal government grew more expensive, especially after the poorly named Great Society and the equally poorly named War on Poverty, the federal government began spending more money. And so it was politically popular to say, let's stop spending that money. I can tell you from, from polls, public opinion polls, even of conservative Americans, that kind of concern just doesn't exist anymore. It's not that Americans don't care about it. And it's certainly not because it's not a bad idea. It's because we've been desensitized to it. And so the reason, in short, is because it was politically popular, but it, it, it no longer has that political cachet, if you will. That's all the more reason for us to talking about the effect of that overspending on our everyday lives, which is very clear. Like the moral aspect of it, the rightness or the wrongness versus just the practicality. That's exactly right. It's also, I think, because we're so prosperous as a nation. Our grandparents were raised in a nation where they understood that if you weren't fiscally responsible, the catastrophic effects it could have. And at least my generation doesn't fully grasp that because they never lived it. Yeah, that's right. Because even even Americans who grow up in working class families generally have access to credit, generally have access to credit cards. So there isn't that, I mean, this is just a, what I like to call a sidewalk level understanding of human behavior, right? Our politicians reflect that reality. They, as Tocqueville would remind us, if you have a problem with politicians in the United States, you might want to look in the mirror. Exactly. Well, you're the one that put them there. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about the the culture wars for a second, because this is my this is my other theory on why so many Republican elected officials err on the side of libertarianism, because it's very difficult and uncomfortable to talk about social issues, to talk about cultural issues, whether that be abortion, whether that be gay marriage, whether that be transgenderism. These are topics that 
evince a visceral response from people because everyone knows someone who's been touched by these topics. And Republicans have not done a very good job, except maybe in the past couple of years, fighting these culture wars. We've really surrendered them to the left. But right now we're facing something really serious in the United States Senate. We're facing Chuck Schumer's so-called respect for marriage act. I... I call it so-called because it's not it's not respect for marriage at all. And this is something you won't hear a lot of elected Republicans. You won't hear a lot of conservative pundits talking about. But this bill is not just about codifying Obergefell into federal statute, making sure that gay marriage, that people can get gay married in any state that they want. It goes beyond this. And you're a big part of that fight. Tell me why you think it's so important and what the threats this bill pose or what the threats are that this bill poses to American freedom and liberty. Look, a decade ago when I was president at the Wyoming Catholic College, we rejected federal student loans and grants for one reason, and it was the advent of transgender ideology. And what we could see then 10 years ago was that this ideology would advance through American institutions to the point that those of us who have particular religious beliefs that that don't include that, certainly love for any person, regardless of a cross that they may be bearing, but nonetheless, our faith is our faith, that in fact, one day we would get to the point where it would be impossible to be a person of faith and also acknowledge or agree with kind of the state religion. The point is this bill would enshrine as a state religion things that are not true. Uh, we believe at the Heritage Foundation that a man is a man and a woman is a woman and that people are right are, have the right to disagree with that. But most importantly, if you think about the thousands of years of tradition from which our country sprang, we also, as our, the first of our freedoms, have our religious liberty. I want to be really clear. There is no messaging around this bill. There's no way to put lipstick on this pig. This is not about being nice to one another. Americans are nice to one another. We're very tolerant people, perhaps the most tolerant in the world. This is completely focused on taking our rights away as people of faith. Because the, and, and tell me exactly the mechanism of this, the language of the bill. How does it infringe upon people's religious freedom? How would it, how would it affect you? How would it affect me? Yeah. Whether someone is, say, working for a Christian school, or in my case, I lead a, a, a secular organization, but I happen to be a man of faith leading just about everyone at Heritage, people of faith, that we would be forced to hire people to even in public events have people who would perhaps be very disruptive to, to what we're, we're studying, um, what we're covering in a particular event. My gravest concern actually is with churches. You know, if we have, just to, to cite a couple of examples, a Baptist pastor in Minnesota who's talking about the truth of his faith. We have a Jewish rabbi in New York City talking about the truth of, of his faith. These are churches that would not be able to do that. And so the mechanism of the bill would disallow that from happening. I ran a Catholic school. I started a K-12 through Catholic school. It would have prevented us as a faithful Catholic school from adhering to our religious tenets. And so the lesson I learned from the courageous stance we took in Wyoming on this very issue was that Americans not of faith understand that if you take away religious liberty from those of us for whom it's important, you then as government can take away whatever you want. And I think that's a really important part of the messaging against this bill that more conservatives need to use. And the penalty is loss of tax-exempt status for churches and schools that rely on that. That's exactly right. And and for, for people in your audience who may not be Roman Catholic, of course, 
you know, our, our, our faith or leaders of our faith can be really reticent about this because of how strict our faith is on these teachings. And I have close friends who are Catholic priests who are deathly afraid of this bill, not because they, they hate someone who is suffering from gender dysphoria. In fact, they would be great people to talk to who would love them and defend them. It would mean that, in fact, these churches cease to exist. That is not hyperbole. So heritage as a secular institution sees a huge problem with this regarding religious liberty. But for that matter, Liz, the entire Bill of Rights. Yeah. I mean, it's it when you read the language of the bill, like you look at the text, it's obviously the ulterior motive is not is goes way beyond gay marriage or treatment of gay people. And it's a direct assault on people of faith. That's right. It's it's really shocking. I mean, all Republican senators, I did a whole episode of this on my show. All Republican senators should vote no. This actually shouldn't even be a conversation we have to have since the Senate needs 60 votes in order to pass this. That would mean that they need that 10 Republicans would have to vote with the Democrats. The fact that there are 10 Republicans who are considering this, um, I mean, I I request firmly request that they read the text of this bill and really study it because this is not what it appears to be. I, I do as well. And I can tell you that there are a number of groups across the country of various faiths and some of, of no particular faith who are working to spread that message of common sense. As my scholars, my colleagues at the Heritage Foundation walk the halls of, of the Capitol, we could use some help. And this is, if I may be blunt, in the spirit of charity, this is a time for the conservative movement in America to stand up for common sense, for people of faith, for people of no faith. As, as I said, if, if, if this passes, this government is now able to do whatever the heck it wants to do. And obviously, none of us need that any more than we already No, have. I mean, the Biden administration made it very clear what they feel about anyone who uh, is a Republican, uh, what an ultra mega he calls us, which is a euphemism for domestic terrorists. So and those are the people that will be in charge. Let me ask you about something else that's happening at, at Heritage. It's something you recently unveiled, this education freedom metric. Tell me about this. This is really cool. I'm very excited because at my core, even though I'm a policy guy, I'm an academic. And so I love the research products that Heritage does. We publish all of them in the spirit of they becoming tools for effecting policies change. And so this one, I think, is one of the best that we published ever. Yeah. It's called the Education Freedom Report Card. It grades all of the 50 states in the District of Columbia on what they have done to put educational freedom in the hands of parents and students. And so some states do really well. State of Florida, where we were recently acknowledging their their victory, so to speak, is number one. Arizona nipping at their heels because of some great school choice legislation. People can see this at heritage.org, Liz. But really, the spirit behind this, the reason that our scholars worked on this for several months, is so that it becomes a tool to affect change in your state. And so we would encourage you to take a look at that. In my adopted home state of Texas, Texas does well in some respects, like regulatory freedom, but it does an awful job when it comes to school choice. So there's a huge opportunity for anyone watching or listening to your show who goes and uses that report card to go to their legislator in Texas, for example, and say, Texas is supposed to be number one. Let's go make that happen. Yeah, which th these are my favorite kind of things because I'm sure you experience the same thing, but everybody... Uh, everybody, and that's a generalization, most people in the conservative movement understand the enemy that we're facing. They feel this, they feel galvanized, they feel energy, and they don't always know where to direct this. What can I do if I'm not a policy wonk? What can I do if I don't work in Washington, D.C.? Where can my skills make a difference? And this is the kind of tool that makes that happen. You can see in your state what is good in the education system, what is bad, and then you can specifically pressure your state legislatures to make that change. That's incredibly powerful. It, it is. And then the other thing is you know, some of the state education commissioners, governors, 
We always hear from these folks who don't score so well, legislators. You know, the first thing they want to do is, is see if somehow the data is misconstrued. No, we're a think tank. We just want to call things objectively right. And so we have not made a mistake with the data. I can assure you of that. But the real point that I want to make, Liz, is that we will be updating this in real time so that when laws are passed in states, for example, if Texas were to pass, as they should, a universal private school choice bill in which every dollar follows every child, I can practically guarantee that the results of that formula is that they would be number one. We don't know that until we put it into the file. But the point is that we will be constantly updating this, creating what? the laboratory of democracy that our founders and, of course, 20th century policymakers across the political spectrum envisioned. This is exactly, this is exactly what was supposed to happen in our country at the beginning. And I'm really, I'm really proud of you guys. I'm happy that you're doing this. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Thank you guys for watching. As always, if you want exclusive early access to interviews just like this one, you can join us on the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. It's lizwheelershow.com slash locals. If you use my promo code, which is access, you can get one month free on your annual subscription. That's lizwheelershow.com slash access. Dr. Roberts, thank you for sitting down with me. Thanks for having me. The Kevin Roberts Show is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producer is Crystal Kate Bonham. The producer is Philip Reynolds. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and Tim Kennedy. For more information and to subscribe, please visit heritage.org.